What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin a couple of weeks of looking at how we can do better to uh, take care of ourselves. I find some pretty incredible answers to this in the scriptures. This first week we are going to look at how self-care can happen in the context of solitude. The title for the message today, Alonely, is obviously not a word. It is the combination of alone and lonely. Uh, for many people, they think of if you are alone, you must be lonely. But I'd like to offer up a different way of thinking about this. We're going to start with a very famous gospel story, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is one of the few miracle stories that takes place in all four gospels. So you know it's an important one, but I want you to focus on the part at the beginning of the story and the couple of verses at the end. Jesus calls his disciples to be alone. He goes up, by the, uh, up the mountain by himself. Why? Let's listen to our scripture and see if we can glean some answers. Uh, Chris will read for us from Mark, where Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples to go and minister in sets of two, telling people to repent and then to cure the sick. Today's scripture describes what happens after they get back together. Let's hear now the gospel of Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 46. Hear now the word of the Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and they went into the surrounding country and villages to buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat, they said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all and all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. From Ecclesiastes 9, 14 and 7, through 17, where there was a little city with few people in it, a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than might, yet the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heeded. The quiet words of the wise 
are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to find our strength in you, even when it's difficult, even when the world tells us to find strength in other places. Be our rock and our salvation. Amen. A solitude can be tough for many people, and if some of you here find yourself among that group, know that you are not alone. People seem to do just about anything to keep themselves occupied, and now with cell phones in everyone's pocket, it's hard to go anywhere without seeing someone's face right in their device. Uh, Some researchers noticed this and asked the question about modern technology. Are people less capable today of being alone with their thoughts? They did a bunch of different experiments asking people to do this, to be alone with their thoughts, then asked them how tough it was. Most people said it was at least somewhat difficult. When they asked another group to do the same experiment at home, over a third admitted they cheated during the experiment and went and got their phones or listened to music instead. In fact, uh, people being left alone with their thoughts was so difficult for so many, one experiment had to be tossed because the experimenter accidentally left a pen behind and the people used it to pick it up and and make a to-do list. Another one went bad because a piece of paper was left behind in the room and the person used it to practice their origami skills. People said over and over they'd rather read magazines, do puzzles, just about anything other than be left alone with just their thoughts. The most ridiculous piece of research was when they set up a device that would shock people. Uh, Everyone had to feel the shock once before the study started, and it was bad enough that they said they would pay money rather than be shocked again. Then, when the people were left alone, a third of the women and two-thirds of the men shocked themselves anyways. Some did it repeatedly, with one person shocking themselves 190 times in the measly 15 minutes that they were left alone. Maybe this is a clue. They did find that those who had practiced at meditation were far more capable of handling that time alone in a positive way. Practicing meditation meant positive experiences in being alone. I'm curious how folks here in our church would do. I can think of at least one or two of you that I'm sure would shock yourselves way more than 190 times, but how would each of us do being alone with our thoughts? For me, this is not usually a huge challenge. I typically enjoy time alone. I love to be with people. I love dinner parties and game nights, but time alone seems to offer a unique kind of energy for me. I think of walking in the woods or hiking in the mountains. I always jump at the chance to go to the Ramapo Mountains or the New Jersey Botanical Garden, which one of you introduced me to. Being out in nature can be a way to fill our souls. Uh, But maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you struggle in that environment. How can you find life out there when you are on your own? There's a word researchers use to describe the thinking we do when we are alone. It's called ruminating. It's chewing the cud, thinking about ideas, and maybe working through personal problems. The problem is, 
ruminating on problems over and over without any progress can actually add to our mental stress. It's even pretty clear this kind of rumination leads to depression. So for many people, they just avoid it. Why even go there? Why even put yourself in a position where thinking about your problems becomes uncontrollable? But there's another kind of rumination. If you are reflecting on positive things, looking at solutions to your problems, this alone time can be really good for you. Instead of it being uncontrolled problems, it's thinking about the past to prevent future failures. That mindset in ruminating is really important. Instead of brooding over the past, we can ponder it, solve problems, and come up with new future strategies. If you find you're stuck with the negative kind of rumination, there are a bunch of things you can do to turn it from bad to good. Therapy is one, working on changing your thought patterns. Mindfulness is another, staying engaged in the present moment without any judgment of the thoughts and feelings passing through. Another huge one is spending time in nature. I've mentioned this many times before. Two hours each week out in nature has huge psychological benefits for us. And perhaps most important of all, the negative effects of rumination can be minimized by a healthy work-life balance. How about this one? Uh, just hearing the pings on your phone when they are work-related uh, work can cause poor mood and even insomnia. I know somebody out there is saying right now, yeah, you didn't need to do a study to know after hours work causes a bad mood. I know, I know. Uh, just setting that boundary, though, of not being expected to return phone calls or texts after hours can bring huge psychological benefits. It's finding space to pause the things that trouble us so we can refresh and come back ready to do it better. Jesus knew this. We heard in today's scripture that Jesus first asks the disciples to come away with him into the desert. The desert back then uh, was sometimes a lonely place, and there was danger there for the body and the soul, wild animals. Uh, it was said to have demons even out there in the desert. But more often, it was known as a refuge. It was a place to get away from the assaults of the world. It was empty of inhabitants. Jesus went there to find the stillness of prayer. And several times, the Holy Spirit specifically leads him to the desert. This is a place to encounter God. It's where Israel received manna from heaven. Uh, the coming Messiah is expected to come from the desert. And when followers of Christ are persecuted, they head to the desert. This is the place where Christians will hide out until Christ comes again. Perhaps the most beautiful image of the desert is that it symbolizes God's divine grace. The desert will one day be watered. It will one day be filled with crops and fruit. God's grace will one day bring about a transformation. God sees not just what it is, but also what it will become. All these images are at work as Jesus heads to the desert with his disciples. Of course, the people follow them, and Jesus takes pity on these people who have no food in this barren place. And once again, God provides, through Jesus, manna in the desert with just a few fish and loaves. So right after this incredible miracle feeding thousands, what does Jesus do? He sends the disciples off 
dismisses the crowd and heads not back to the desert, but up the mountain to pray. The mountain is important, too. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine I told you, hey, church is going to be up the mountain today down the street. You have to climb up here to to hear this week's sermon. I'm not sure many of you would follow me up there to hear the sermon, would you? But that's what Jesus did. People had to make a commitment to follow him up there. It wasn't easy. The mountain is also the site of the transfiguration, where Jesus is revealed as the bridge between heaven and earth. Uh, This moment on the mountain, just after the feeding of the 5,000, reminds us of Jesus' connection with heaven. It's almost on the mountain, like it's easier to meet God when you're there. If there's any place for Jesus to ruminate, to reflect positively on previous events and to make space to connect with God, this is it. To be alone, to look out across the land, to see a world of possibility and hope, even as so many are in pain and in need. Uh, George Washington Carver once said, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. Jesus tuned in, and he sets the example for us of how to hear from God. Just this past week, I was at Ramapo and Indian Hills High Schools. Each school had a night where they gave out scholarships, and our church has given out several of these scholarships for many years now. I found out that the school lets those who give out the checks come and say a few words before presenting the scholarships. And I thought, hey, that's a great chance to get out there and give people a taste of what our church is all about. So I went this week to present the checks in person. They asked presenters to arrive 30 minutes in advance, and it's my first time, so I got there right on time. And when I walked in, I was one of only two people there. Clearly, everybody else knew there's no reason to come that far in advance. Uh, It felt a little to me like I was suddenly part of my wife's family, where if you aren't half an hour early, you're late, even if nobody else is there. But anyways, I sat down and I was thinking, hey, this is a great opportunity to practice this positive rumination thing I'm going to be talking about. As people arrived, I noticed something. No one else was thinking or pondering or ruminating. Everyone was looking at their phones, every single person there. It was unbelievable. And I very intentionally did not do that. I wanted to quiet myself, to be present in the moment. And I thought, I'll be a natural at this. I pray, I walk through the woods, I'll be great at this. But it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. I kept wondering what time it was. I checked the clock on my phone over and over, and part of that is not my fault. They started 10 minutes late for that scholarship uh, presentation. But still, staying present, meditating, and reflecting on the past with just your own thoughts and nothing else can be tough to do. I had another chance, though. Uh, The second day of scholarships, I was at Indian Hills, and I thought, I'm going to do better at this one uh, in that place. I arrived half an hour early again, took a seat near the front, and spent some more time being quiet. Wasn't more than a few minutes, though, before two people who clearly knew each other sat directly behind me. And one person just had one of those voices that cuts through you. You know those people? It's hard not to hear what they're saying, right? 
So now I know about a teacher in another district that died, but they didn't tell the administration who it was. Uh, I know the problems she has with her boss and a bunch of other things that I do not care about. Uh, all this is happening while I'm trying to do positive rumination. I'm trying to stay focused, but I can't. It's hard to do. I think I would have been better off with a, a walk in the woods. And finally, the program begins, and there are a lot of accolades celebrating the great work of this year's senior high school graduates, but there were also some heartbreaking stories. Some of these scholarships are given as memorials to loved ones who have died, some from 9-11, others who were faithful members of the community. We even have our own scholarship here at Grace that we'll give out next week, uh, the Meredith Winter Memorial Scholarship given out for a young girl who was just 18 years old. She died in a car crash the week before her graduation. Though it's been decades since this happened, the force of this tragedy was brought home to me by two parents that were there to give scholarships as a memorial to their own children. One died tragically of an incredibly rare but aggressive form of cancer. The boy's mother described the experimental treatments as horrific. But her son was brave. On his last birthday, which he had to spend in the hospital, he didn't ask for a birthday present for himself. Instead, he asked that his parents buy new shoes for the door attendant at the entrance to the hospital. Every time the boy came into the hospital, the man would comment on the cool shoes he had on. So that was what he wanted for his birthday. He wanted to bless that man. That was the birthday gift he wanted, to give something to another person. That's someone who has spent time alone, not dwelling in depression, stuck in their own problems, but thinking of solutions, thinking about ways to do a little good to help this world. There was another story, perhaps more tragic than the first, but only because it was more recent. Another set of parents presented a scholarship, this one for their daughter. She was part of the marching band, and they gave their award to a student who was in marching band that wrote an essay about ways to combat mental health issues. Clearly, this played a role in her death. And the parents never said it, but just under the surface was so much pain. How many questions must swirl in their heads of what if and what could have been. I could not fathom the pain and the suffering they have endured. All I know is that I will pray for them. I will not forget their story. And I will not stop thinking about ways that we can make say in our baptismal vows for people of all ages, nations, and races. We reflect on the past not to dwell in our pain, but to find a way forward, to make not only our own life better, but better for the whole world. That's what I want for those parents. It can be anguish for them to be alone with their thoughts, but in time, as they process their grief, and work out the pain. Perhaps one day they will find themselves ruminating on the good things left behind by their children. One day it won't feel like every day is the worst day of their lives. 
Instead, they will find that being alone with themselves is an opportunity to see the good in this world and a chance to discover better ways of connecting and loving God and this creation around us. Already, we are seeing the beginning of that as their sad, tragic losses turn to good in giving thousands and thousands of dollars away every year to encourage young people to make a positive impact in this world. What might you see transformed in your life today? How can ruminating with a positive mindset impact your world? What good can you bring to this world as you follow the example of Jesus, heading to the desert or up the mountain to reflect and pray, to consider the way God would have you go in a tough, tough situation? May your ruminations be positive. In your time alone, be a source of peace and transformation. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, help our time alone to be something that brings hope into this world. May we be like those who have experienced deep and painful grief, bringing good out of it. Lord, let our reflections bring good into this world. Help us to be like Jesus, to find that time alone, to bring grace and peace and love into this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.